Oh. Oh. Are you going to edit something? No, no, no. Can you edit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's something's really, that's, something's really hit me. Yeah. I'll tell you again. Okay. Just really weird thing. Oh, my God. And Do you want to say it now? I will. I'll say it. it. Okay, I'll say it. If you yeah. This is the Gilded Thread Podcast. I am Irene O'Brien and I have a long-standing obsession with the role of clothing in our lives. We are definitely living in a time when so many of us have the platform to broadcast every minute of our own lives, should we choose. I wanted to hear from those people whose stories are perhaps a little less shared and learn about their lives as recalled through their style memories. Today, I am chatting with Mary McAvoy, an accomplished actress and writer with a love of creativity and animals. And I was so excited to speak with her about the clothes that defined both important and challenging times and to hear how she uses style as both armour and expression in her day to day life. Mary McAvoy joining me on The Gilded Thread. I'm thrilled. Thank you so much for being with me today. Delighted to be here, Irene. Yeah. I was telling you on the phone, like a kind of little stalker, um, that we have crossed paths. Um, you won't remember, but I remember. We, we both contribute to RT today. And me and my capacity as a stylist or on-air fashion kind of presenter. And um, I think you wear many hats. I mean, ostensibly it's to, to talk with the panel, but you advise and um, you, you, you know, you just... I was saying to you, you're so yourself. And I think that that's what I love about when you come into something, you're talking about the news, but then you're so frank and you're so honest and you're so open. And I it really struck me you as a person, but also your clothes all the time. Every time you came in, I loved your style. And oh, I was like, gosh, that's so you. you. But it was so you. And yeah. I and I, I, I said this to you that I I think um, it's a hard thing to be. It's harder and harder to just be you. And I, I'm, I'm always, I always was kind of thrilled when you were in the studio area as well. And, you know, and chatting and everything. So I liked your style and I loved, um, you know, your conversation. So I'm so happy oh. that we can have a conversation about oh, style. Thank you. That's so sweet. Thank and you. all to go with us. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you first where I mostly start with everyone about just a little bit about where you grew up and I suppose your memories of style or fashion or clothing in your house as you recall them first. Well I grew up in a place called Delvin outside a village called Delvin County Westmeath and it's it's at that time it's still quite it's it's still quite um, off the beaten track because you know the next house I have two houses down from me is the bog, you know, basically. Yeah. And um, it was, uh, you know, very, grew up in a farm, only child. Parents older than normal, they would have been old, old enough to be my grandparents, really. But I had a lovely childhood and everything um, uh, in, in terms of running wild through the fields, you know, being really feral, you know. And uh, um, all of that, uh, climbing trees and being a tomboy and my mother mortified that I was a tomboy because all she wanted was a little lady but she didn't get one anyway and I suppose my mother was a very very beautiful woman she really was I'm not she, she was she you, you, you there's photographs of her from the 40s she was a nurse in in London during the war in England Manchester during the war and she nursed people who'd been bombed out she nursed you know and you know and she she had all that but she had this so there was loads of photographs of her in these beautiful costumes and, you know, probably they didn't cost that much because she didn't come from a wealthy background, but she looked so glamorous. 
And I suppose my first memory, funnily enough, in terms of, you know, like the Wizard of Oz, down the yellow brick road we go, was a pair of red patent peep-toe stilettos. That was my mother's. And now they they seemed vertiginous and like, you know, hugely tall and but they probably weren't but to my childlike eyes they were and I loved them and you know a usual little girl clopping around the place with them on me and all that kind of thing they disappeared I think they probably were terribly uncomfortable and mother didn't, didn't wear them again but that was my first I've no idea where my my absolute obsession with clothes came from I had no idea I think I was just born with it or came from a past life or something but that was my first memory it was those shoes and they were just so glamorous you know and were you did your obsession with clothing manifest through um, dressing toys or anything like that early on or was it that you were trying to restyle your own clothes or was it just that you knew you had an interest in the clothes that you were wearing well I suppose I used to do things like again we had one station on, on on the telly and but myself and my cousins would would try to get and we had rabbit people don't understand this at all this is like back in the stone age but we had these <laughs> aerials called rabbit's ears which you kind of twisted and turned to try and get some form of um picture out of the snow that was the and i remember watching midsummer night's dream and i think it could have been judy dench that was playing titania i'm not sure but with my cousins and of course out there we then we go out to the yard which is full of trees we'd wrap um bindweed around us like fairies and we would pretend we were fairies running around the place and that was my form of dressing up my form of removal from the everyday life and and uh and then i think probably it would have been the black and white movies of the 30s and 40s that finally did for me with clothes. That was it. You know, once I saw glamour, uh, as it was then, high octane glamour, I was done. I was finished. I was gone. <laughs> because you had more access maybe than others because you had the TV. Is yeah, that right? Because TV wasn't a very usual thing. And, 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 and we did have a TV. As I say, you would, you know, you'd have to be practically an acrobat. To, one foot in the ground. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to see it. But yes, it did give you a little bit of a window. And then, you see, also, I grew up on the cusp of modernity in Ireland, like I, when I was 10 and 64, you know, and it was just beginning to trickle through, not very much, but there was the stand again, standing in one leg with your ear to Radio Luxembourg and all of this and this sense that there was a world outside. But it was not bec- it wasn't apparent because there was no magazines coming in. There was nothing like we have now with media, the social media and it's constant wall to wall stuff. Then you had to really look for it. And I would listen to the music. The music really was what what instilled my sense of style, I think, in the sense that, again, there are probably two seminal moments in my life. It was one, the first time I saw Audrey Hepburn, and two, the first time I saw the Rolling Stones. And don't ask me why the two stuck with me, because you can't, you, they're not two people, <laughs> they're not two things that you would actually think of in the same sentence. But that was... That was, the, the Rolling Stones just blew me away, as did Audrey. I watched a film when I was about seven or eight um, called uh, Sabrina Fair. And in that, it was it was sort of set in, I think it was Boston or one of the eastern states in this very wealthy wasp family, the industri- very wealthy industrialists. And it was kind of like an upstairs, downstairs kind of thing. And Audrey played the chauffeur's daughter and she was in love with the sort of playboy son of the 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 family and uh anyway this infatuation had to be nipped in the bud so they packed her off to paris to learn the arts of cooking 
and of course then they, and this was another obsession with Paris as well so it was the, a double whammy and so I I um there was there's a scene in when she comes back from Paris and it's the whole thing it it's the whole cliche of Paris and the Eiffel Tower and she's there and the, the an accordion playing and all that kind of stuff and you know I was just you know, this magical fairy dust place and so anyway there's a picture where she comes back and the wealthy son is in his you know top down car and she's at the the, the local station waiting to be pu- picked up after a year in Paris and the camera pans from her feet up to, to the top of her head and I I never I was literally like I had seen a flippant apparition. She was wearing this Givenchy suit and it was tight and, 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 and so elegant and she had a little poodle with her and then she had this gorgeous little toque on her head and huge gold earrings which I always wear gold <laughs> earrings and I think that's a throwback from that. I'd never seen anything like that in my life and I was gone. That was it. I was literally staring at the at the screen and, and it was such a moment I mean even I like I know exactly the outfit that you're talking yeah. about there as well and even the combination of the outfit the camera work and then that moment that so many movies have kind of you know recreated yeah. when she was one thing now she's another the with, with the power of clothing with you the know? power of clothing um, and uh, it was so sophisticated but it was the silhouette and the way she held herself, herself. Now, I can imagine how that captured your imagination yeah. and just the beautiful winged eyeliner and and then the, the way the toque sat on her head everything was perfection you know and then you have to remember because I went on then to think oh well I have to wear a hat that you know the, that toque was probably stuck on with about 97,000 <laughs> pins yeah. and you, you you but what happens is the reality your your own naivety doesn't see the reality behind it so you think that's the it's exactly like social media now so that's that's the way people look you know, yes. whereas if I wore that, it'd be sliding off my head because I don't have 97 pins in it, you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. And then you wouldn't forgive yourself for not getting it yeah, right. Yes, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just this klutz that can't get it right, you know. But yeah. then we and I think that's a, if there was ever anything I can ever say to younger people coming up, looking at social media, wishing I look like blah, blah, or this person or that person. It's just a moment in time. Yeah. It's filtered. It's made up. It's it's pinned. It's tucked. It's everything yeah. altered in every way. So, you know, normality is a, that's why you said I'm always myself. It's only in, in later years through looking at fashion magazines with women with impossibly long thighs and all of that going. This is not real. This is it's, it's I often love to say to some of the designers, you know, something, lads. You design clothes for people with no corners or mm-hmm. no, they have lots of corners and, and no curves yeah. and length. That's easy. Design mm-hmm. something for a small rounded person. And then I call you a really good designer, mm-hmm. mind you. It's, it's, but, but that's why I've, I've ended up being myself because you kind of realize you're falling for a fantasy mm-hmm. that is going to just make you unhappy. Mm. So I think everybody... Be yourself. Be yourself in clothes. Be yourself in makeup. Be yourself in your face. Don't alter it with all sorts of nonsense, you know. And find who you are. Find who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's hard at the moment with, with, um, particularly with social media. um, Because 
oh I like that and she does that so maybe I'll do that he does that yes. that's interesting should I do that and yeah. it's, it's so confusing and it's noisy and you know yes. I've decades on the clock but I'm looking at my and, and it's, I still find it overwhelming and confusing yes. Um, yes. and distracting so distracting oh it is very distracting <laughs> yeah. and and before you know it you're down the rabbit hole yeah. you're gone and what the basically at the end of it all somebody's trying to sell you something yeah. and that's the and what I, can I just give the, one of the great pieces of advice that I wish I somebody had told me when I was when you're looking at a picture of a dress, trousers, shoes, da 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 da, whatever it is, go, oh, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Look at the shape of the person it's on. Then look at your own shape and ask yourself, am I going to look like the, this image when I put this on? It's nothing to do with whether you're better or good, you're just different. Because what's going to happen is if you buy this, which I've done so many times, for a long, skinny person yeah. and a short, roundy person puts it on, ain't the same outfit. Yeah. So, you know, just just do that before you buy and waste your money. That's what I would say. I know, exactly. And also, because we do have access to social media as well, follow people that are like you or that can inspire you in a realistic way. Exactly. You know, that can yeah. kind of give you tips and ideas yeah. that you can apply. But um, I do, I do... I, I know those kind of moments that you're talking about, you know, seeing someone on screen or seeing someone in picture. Oh, yes. And I think, you know, for you, there was, it was double-edged though, wasn't it? Because there was great joy in it. But then there was that confusion. Yeah, and it didn't match my background. It was like nothing in my background. At least now, say if you want to look like Kim Kardashian, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with looking like Kim Kardashian. You know, she doesn't, she's not an arms dealer. She's just someone who <laughs> shakes what she got for money and that's <laughs> fine with me. Um, uh, she, uh, you know, you can go to somebody for the, the hair extensions or, you can, or there is a pictorial representation that's near your reality somewhere. Yeah. In my time, I might as well want to look like a Martian because yeah. there was nothing. There was nothing. And it, and then you felt, what's the, invalid. You felt that you were the odd person. Why did you want that? And nobody else wanted it. And why did you, you know, wh- why are you fascinated by that? I mean, you're a farmer's daughter from Westmead. Why do you want to look like Betty Davis even? But why do you want to look at anybody? Like, you know, you're a farmer's daughter, you know, just be who you are. And there you go again, be who you are. And a farmer's daughter from Westmead is certainly what I am, but it's also what I'm not. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's very confusing. And yeah. then, but then eventually, as you get older, with constant self-examination and work on yourself, you kind of realise you can bring the two things together. You can bring your aspirations and your your what you're born with together in, yeah. in some form of way. It's a lifelong process, yeah. I think. But know? when you're talking about, I suppose, yeah, that is a funny thing because that's nearly saying stay in your box, be who you are. And when I'm saying that to you, it's so far from what I mean. I feel like you have found yeah. who you wanted to be on this earth today, you know, and yeah. and um, you've aligned that, whoever, you know, I don't know. I just feel I don't know you until, you know, just, yeah, we just know. in passing. Yeah. Um, but just this idea that you can be uh, so um, earnest, you know, mm. and, and um, that I feel like when I'm chatting to you that I'm talking to you. But it is that thing about, you know, that was aspirational for you to see those clothes. And, yeah. um, but also, yes, you were a farmer's daughter, but you were able to do all of the things. But maybe it was, was there kind of a sense that you weren't, that you shouldn't want to do more yes, than that? Yes, that's exactly it. And I think that's a battle still being fought today mm-hmm. in my head with, you know, I might, you know, do a 
trawl of the charity shops, which is basically all the financial. But my financials will stri- stretch to now, and that's fine because I think it makes you more creative. But uh, you know, and I come home and I will do a, you know, I'll do a, a composition, you know, in <laughs> yeah. front of the mirror, and I go, "You have to go out and feed the sheep now, Mary." Like, you know, what's this got to do with anything? But I actually had a very interesting um, experience uh, about two months ago. It was the last stretch of fine weather we had. And myself and himself on a Friday is Prosecco evening. And we sit out in the yard with the hens and the cats (laughs) and the the horses looking over the fence. You know, it's it's all rescues. And I'm not living in some kind of stud farm or anything (laughs) like that. And, you know, and the hen would be there. And it does... you know, it's uh, a few old, uh, t- I've few old tubs of flowers and some trees and, the, and I've made this little bower. I did that during uh, lockdown to give us something pretty to sit in, um, in the sunniest part of the yard. So, um, it was kind of, uh, the dinner, the, the, the dinner was ready and, you know, didn't have to serve it yet. And I said, yeah, it's Prosecco evening. I said, right, I'm going to go up and get my best frock. And I have this dress which I bought in a shop called Venezuela in Mullingar and it's by the Lotus Eaters and it's black, diaphanous, yards and yards and yards and yards and yards and yards of stuff. And it's like, you know, you think for a small person that it wouldn't be nice, but because it's so thin and so fine you know, you can waft. So I came down the yard going swish, 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 <laughs> swish, 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 you know, like um, Audrey Hepburn in um, Funny Face. And she goes, yes. take the picture, take the picture. <laughs> and, uh, and my fellow was just laughing. He says, and he just said to me, he said, look, you're 12 in your head. You really are. <laughs> but I said, yeah, this is what I do. You, you know, I know we wear things to see, to be witnessed. I know that. And I think we all need to be witnessed. And the, mm-hmm. the world's a very crowded place. So we do we do need to be noticed because mm-hmm. everybody's wandering around on their phones, you know. And, um, but you don't also, you, you know, the pleasure of clothes and the pleasure of expressing yourself in that way. It doesn't all, always have to be for an audience. It can be just for you to feel like this. And again, I, I one of the, I think quite a few people who admitted to loving, um, and just like that, I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. But there's that lovely uh, picture of Sarah Jessica Parker sitting on her stoop in her, I don't know whether it was a Valentino gown or a, um, uh, one of the, the like, Valentino or Armani. Or something. Yeah. And she's sitting in this with that absolutely extravagant evening gown on. And I go, yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. That's it. You know, that's, and uh, you know, I think we've got very... Um, Cookie cutter, I th- you know, for all the kind of stimulus that we get, we've a, a lot of people are afraid of being different. A lot of people are afraid of saying no, that, that no, I don't like that. Yeah, and and feeling like, um, you know, because I do styling work, so many people say to me, "No, what's appropriate? And what does that mean? And what will this?" And I understand not wanting to offend, but I also think. Like wear what gives you joy and you will be a joyous person at that gathering. You yeah. will share joy. You will feel yeah. yourself. And yes, we do want to be seen. And yes, our clothing can be used as a tool and it can be used as a tool to tell people who we are. But just as much and just as important, it can remind us who we are or it can give, you know, on certain days, I know I might even plan to wear one thing and I think no, because I need this extra energy from that colour. Yes. Or I'm not yes. feeling that or I need a little bit more confidence or sometimes I do want to kind of cover up a yes. little bit and be more yes. under something. But there's, I, I found that a lot during lockdown and um, 
we were in an apartment and we had no outdoor space and there was a toddler and oh. and and quite often I was putting on gowns. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking, I need to do this and lift and then and then my other half might just make brunch and I and then he'd go off and he'd come back in a velvet jacket for the crack. Oh how lovely. For the crack. Yeah. And he I know he was doing that for a kick for me. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I think they our, our clothes can be some of our best friends and some of yes. the things that are within our reach and in our home that can absolutely and quite immediately elevate our mood and, and or, or give us the armour we need to face something that we're going absolutely. into. Absolutely. I know? Think so are. I love it and I really want to see that dress. Oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> I was going to wear it today but because it's raining and because yes. my car is dirty and it's got muck on it I would come in with like a <laughs> layer of muck on my lovely dress. But you said something there that was very interesting about appropriate. Like, mm. what, like what would people deem or... What do people deem appropriate mm. anymore? Yeah. I, I don't know. What? Well, I think that people are just, people are so scared of getting it wrong. So that's why I think that that's it. People are saying, is this appropriate for this occasion? Is this appropriate for this occasion? And it, the getting it wrong actually isn't as much about, because I'd think, okay, you don't want to get something wrong because you might want to offend someone in yeah, some yeah, place. Yeah. But I think appropriate is they're just saying, am I am I going to be accepted? That's it. You know? Yeah. Um. But... And it's so cliche to say, but you have to walk out thinking, I like who I am in this and yes. I feel comfortable in this. Yes. And sometimes you have to push yourself. Sometimes I think, oh, am I comfortable in this? And then um, I'll be thrilled that I wore yeah. it later, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so there is kind of uh, a balance there. Yeah. But I just think that um, that we have to kind of try to stop looking outwards because it's as soon as I'm second guessing what people might think that the fun goes out of yes, dressing exactly. for me, you exactly. know? Um, and... I'm wondering then, you know, when, that idea of what people think and you were saying, you know, who am I to be looking, wanting to dress yeah. like that as well? Did you share with your friends or your family oh. that this was a way you wanted? So this was an internal Intern. kind of struggle Intern in your struggle, head. Yeah, yeah. What were your friends wearing at that time in school? Was there, was, was there an emphasis on clothing? Well, there wasn't because, uh, first of all, all of us walked to school or yeah. like sometimes I, I walked, certainly walked home. I get that my mum would leave me, give me a lift, but a lot of people walked to school. A lot of, you know, we, we it, it was an era where it wasn't really about, we'd have our, our party frocks, yeah. our little party frocks or our communion dress or whatever it was. But there wasn't that thing because our lives were very practical. Mm -hmm. You know, people would go home and they'd have to bring in the turf for the, you know, it was Mm -hmm. the kids had their jobs so they couldn't go off in their, you know, and we we were always up trees and falling down. I mean, I was nearly killed. I don't know how many times before my 10th birthday, falling out of trees, falling off bicycles, falling off ponies. You know, I mean, how I'm here, I just don't know. I mean, we had a big dray horse, beautiful, beautiful sort of, I don't think it was a Clydesdale, but. But my, my favourite thing was when he was still running in and out under his belly with these huge feet. And if he decided to kick me, Surely. I was gone. But that was my thing. He was a very gentle thing. He didn't kick me. But anyway, that's really weird that I've had that, that, that thought about the horse because he was absolutely beautiful. He was just a most beautiful, old, calm, lovely thing. And he was sent to the yard. And, he was, and I remember seeing the, the lorry taking him away and nobody told me what was happening but I knew I knew and my friend who is works at the ISPCA has rescued a horse and she's, he lives with us now he is the absolute carbon copy and I've only thought really? that now and how long have you had the horse? 
the, this, this horse. only 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 a couple of months. Wow! And he's the carbon copy of now a little bit smaller in girth, but uh, you know he's not a cart or not a dray horse. You know, well that's extraordinary because I believe in reincarnation. Anyway, oh, and I, I do believe the universe talks to us through various living things. Yes. So maybe maybe it's that old sweetheart, and he's a, an old sweetheart of a horse, exactly the same temperament. Anyway, he'll get an extra squeeze now when you go back. to Oh yeah, he's lovely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, so yeah, so. I, so kids in those days, they, they tended to dress for activity and you'd have like in the summertime, you had your little summertime uniform, you had your little um, your, um, the plastic sandals, you know, those little plastic yeah. sandals and you'd have your ankle socks and shorts. And that was a little uniform that you had and we'd all get into that for the summer. But it, it, it would be we would be playing make believe outside you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, as I say, we weren't in our dress. But I, I, I know that I did have a thing about dresses. I remember being t- taken to get dress um, party frocks. I went to one party ever in a year. But, and uh, there was a dress with um, the roses on it, beautiful roses, a lovely little cotton dress. And that was my favourite. But my mother wanted something a little bit more. It wasn't a party dress. It was an everyday dress. Yeah. And all I saw was the roses. And I got this um, blue confection of a thing with scratchy armpits. And I didn't like it at all. <laughs> but it, it did the job, do you know? Yeah. But there was that sort of thing. You'd have maybe a party frock or something. But it never was your choice, do you know? You yeah. never, what you wanted wasn't that. Yeah. But then kids at that, at the, when they're experimenting with clothes nowadays I think they let, you see little kids wandering around dressed as everything yeah, you know, and yeah that's I love fine. that but then you didn't because yeah. it, it just wasn't done you know? well they do say that thing as well um, that children in their little girls let's say in their 50s were dressing like little carbon copies of their mothers yes and then by the 60s suddenly you know Probably because it was trickling down from older yes, that, that they yeah. were caring more about and maybe the influence of music or TV or oh, anything, yeah. but they suddenly weren't dressing like that anymore. And then, of course, there was kind of the youth quake with the teenagers yes. kind of later on yes. in that decade as well. And I was interested to know then considering your, you know, obviously your mom was in charge of clothes and you didn't have um, that many other people whose clothes you were looking at and thinking, wow, yeah. that's kind of fascinating. And you, you mentioned music and your love of music and, and, and the Stones. Yeah. Was that, did you see them or was it that when you first heard the music that you were inspired? I I, I saw them on, I've, finally we got the rabbit's ears to work and <laughs> I saw them on Top of the Pops performing Painted Black. And I, I was, oh my God. I was like, all sorts of improper thoughts went through my <laughs> pubescent mind and it was ridiculous you know but but what I loved they had this this sense of of challenge and they had this sense of outlaw and still have it I think and and I and then as they got all in in, when they they went into the 70s the all the the sort of drapes and draping and the scarves and the head pieces and oh my god and funnily enough my first independent purchase which I remem- remembered after talking to you on the phone, was kind of a nod to Marianne Faithful because I saw a picture of Marianne Faithful and Mick Jagger in a paper and she had a dress on her with scarf tied around the waist. Now, yeah. you can't imagine how outlandish that was in, in the world I came <laughs> yeah. from. But I thought, oh my God, oh, that's fabulous. I'm going to go do That's the first thing I'm going to do. So I went to, I, I think it was Jenny Vanders at the time and yeah. I bought this, which is still there. Thank Thank God. And uh, I bought this dress. It was a maroon shirt dress. 
And it was, I think it was probably just a big shirt, but it looked great. And I got this very sparkly gilded scarf and I I put it around my waist. And I, I think that was the first time I ever... I ever felt that I saw me looking back at me. Really? Or maybe it was Marianne Faithful looking back at me. Well, no, not really. She's a stunning woman. But like, you know, um, um, but that it was like, yeah, 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 this is it. And then, of course, I wore it home and everyone's going, why do you just scarf around your waist? Like, you know. <laughs> Has it slipped? Has it slipped? What, 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 what? That's not a very. And what I loved about the shirt too, or the dress that I was wearing, is that it was worn. It was yes. worn. It was... It had it had it had been worn in. It was second hand, and it was, you know, what's what's the word? Deconstructed, and mm-hmm. you know, in those days, no, because everything had to be new, you know, and uh, like the, no, they just and and this was be in Dublin too with my friends, you know. They, well, that's what I was going to say. That when you went home, are you talking about you went home home or went back to your friends and they? Well, were I saying, went back to the the gaff as and people did. They didn't get it. Yeah, they didn't get it, and and. I suppose because I was bigging it up so much, going, "Isn't this fantastic?" and and they perfectly rightly it they didn't get it, and something yeah. to do with me being great or them not being. It was just the kind of going, "Why would you put a scarf around your waist?" <laughs> and and you know, and that was fine, you know. It didn't knock your confidence. Yes, it did. did yes, it? it did because you see, you have to remember that when you're an only child, you have no one to say, "Yeah, grand, do what you want to do. Mm. Don't worry about it." You know, you've no one to go back to. You've no one to kind or of... Or you're not used to constant criticism of what you're wearing by siblings, you know, taking the mick and everything as well. So Well, I suppose you, you learn to stand up with yourself, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever. It was just you didn't have the... You didn't have that impetus on the outside yeah. to stand up yeah, for yourself. And so that. when you find yourself, you know, um, but that was, that was, you know, and then the, the dandelion market was this like Alibaba's cave of exotic clothes and hippiedom. And and did that open while you, because you moved to Dublin at... I was 18. 18. And you moved wanting to be a music journalist. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes. But so how did you know that there was such a thing then? If you weren't, was... Because I used they, to buy the NME. And and okay, so you'd been so the magazines had arrived at this stage in Mullingar. Then, you could get them yeah, in the exotic okay. city of Mullingar, which is <laughs> one of the best towns in Ireland. I have to say, shout yeah. out to Mullingar, great town. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, and I get the NME and I'd read it, and then the year would be up to Luxembourg to try and hear the music they were talking about and the whole thing. And then I thought, yeah, I want to be, I want to be, and I'd even write reviews in the style of, you know, yeah. and uh, but uh, and then I said, well, I'll go to Dublin now, and I'll I'll get a job, and I'll I'll become a music. I didn't have the first clue how to become a music journalist. I had a notion. I thought you just wrote something, and sent it to a paper, <laughs> and you were grand, you know. Yeah. And uh, so then I just started. I got a job in the civil service, <laughs> you know, uh, as you did in those days. But the funny thing about that place where we worked in in the civil service was like, it was out in a place called Thorndale in um, uh, near Whitehall. And it was it was an old house, an old farmhouse that was sti- it still had hay bales and things, but it was still surrounded by the new Dubliners coming at the time. But everybody in the group that I ended up going into were 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 kind of like myself, holding space till they got somewhere else. Okay. So yeah. they were all. I remember sitting down in the in the hay the hay field the hay barn you know, talking about the incredible string band and we were all wearing maxis. And maxis and donkey jackets and desert boots. That was the, the uniform of, of the hippie of the time. And um, you know, there was all there was artists, there was there was there was artists, there was people who were really out there and 
we were all very in different, you know, in, in, in whatever way, even the, the most I mean, wonderful, lovely woman called Jackie, who is kind of with like a bardo, like with the, the hair, you know, and the platforms would be about 97 feet high. And yeah, I love Jackie. Skin tight <laughs> jeans. Oh, she was great. She yeah. was uh, just high octane glamour. And then there was the hippies and the artists and the... Well, know. how cool that that was such an unlikely... Me- but it was a melting pot. It was a melting pot. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't think Chris Keaveney will be listening to a podcast about it because she's probably too practical to. But if you are, <laughs> please get in touch with me through through somebody or other. The Today Show, anyone. <laughs> but anyway, she was she was our... our um, oh, yes, I have to tell you this story. This is a very funny story. Um... And I, I may have told it before, so anyway, she'll look at it, it'll bear another telling. I, I used to pal around with, I still do pal around with Martina Stanley, who plays Dolores in Fair City. Now, there's a style icon. Martina, not Dolores. Dolores is grand, but Martina <laughs> is the most exotic dresser ever. Well, you mentioned to me before that she is Ireland's answer to Iris Apple. And I was thinking, I don't think I've seen her, like, noticed anywhere else. Well, I went down a rabbit hole and I was like, I need to chat to her. Oh, yeah. my goodness, the style. Yeah. She's extraordinary. Beautiful, beautiful style. A beautiful yeah. style. And she just works a look and she's just, she's just, she's amazing. She is so stylish. Anyway, we used to pal around and we used to, you know, dress ourselves in scarves and go off in our little fantasies. And she was in the Abbey at the time. Um, and she was the first professional actress I ever knew. But we were mad into clothes and mad into, you know, dressing. But it was more fantasy. We were mad about Siobhan McKenna. I was certainly mad about Siobhan McKenna. And so we were all dyeing our hair red and yeah. with henna and stuff like that. And, you know, trying to look as much like the goddess as that Siobhan McKenna was. And... Um, but anyway, th- there was a heat wave and I was still working in Thorndale and uh, myself and Martina decided that we'd go into town, into the Dandelion Market and then we'd we'd go play tennis in Trinity because she had a, some kind of pass into the tennis course in Trinity. <laughs> and then we'd just go, we'd go on the mess, basically. So that was grand. So I rang in to Chris Keaveney. I don't know if she even knows this, but anyway, I rang her in. I said, Chris, I got terrible. I've, I've, I've heat stroke. <laughs> I just, I'm really sick. And oh God, no, go to bed now. And you know, and mine is out of the So anyway, go into, into the thing and do all the things, then end up in the green with our tennis rackets. And the band was playing on the green and the, in the bandstand. And I was doing this with my tennis racket, you know, like pretending like a violin thing. <laughs> Next morning, front of the Irish Times. Oh, stop. <laughs> on my way to the doctor. <laughs> on my way to the doctor. She knew. She knew ah, she didn't. I, 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 she didn't read the Irish Times, but and she knew, and she said nothing. So but I mean, tried to. Yeah, there I was, like, and now they didn't know my name or anything. Yeah, but yeah. they just obviously somebody saw this funny little hippie sitting <laughs> under a tree playing a mock violin. But that's such a moment in time because it brought together you being in Dublin on the hop from that particular job, yeah. wearing the clothes with yeah. your friend. With yeah. the, you know, I love that. That's such yeah. a snapshot yeah. of who you were at that time. Yeah, as well. and you kind of love to get that back. Not the, I don't I don't ever want to be young again. I love mm-hmm. being the age I am. But I love that sense of carefreeness of mm-hmm. just ah, let's go on the mess for the day. Yeah. Instead of going, oh, no, what if I do this? Oh, God. Yeah. And it's I, I'd love that back that that, you know, and, and, and you know, sometimes I always think about aging in terms of do we really have to become this responsibility? I'm not saying that we should shirk responsibilities, but where our responsibilities and our 
I don't know what, what else it is or fear or whatever governs us in a mm. way that takes away all that that spontaneity mm-hmm. of youth, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I don't necessarily think that has to be a part of aging, mm. um, but it, it does happen. You know, it, it really does. Well, it's attributed to youth, but I because I always say I really value in others of any age. I love a giddy goat. Oh, yeah. I, I just love goats. a giddy goat. I giddy and goats. I think that my favorite thing is when people keep their giddiness. I love you that. Know? I love you that. Know? So I think that it's not necessarily you think, but you're right. Sometimes the weight of the other things maybe just dampens. It, it does. And, 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 and because your contemporaries then, they have children and grandchildren. I don't have children of my own. I, 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 children and grandchildren. And, and they're, you know, they're, I, I don't know. It's kind of, you don't say, let's go on a Skype to Galway yeah, for the crack. For yeah, the day. Yeah. Oh no, well I have Saoirse or whatever yeah, name is coming yeah. along. You know, and, and which is fine. Jesus, I'm not giving out yeah, about yeah. people or grandchildren. No, it's the reality. Children. It's the reality. But that, that giddiness, you know, I just love to go on a Skype, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, but an innocent Skype. I mean, like, yeah. um, I mean, some of the things that we got up to were so innocent and so fun and so, uh, but um, and yet always to do with clothes and appearance and yeah. uh, not n- not really always. To do. We used to go on the tops of buses looking at all the good looking fellas, all the hippies <laughs> around, the, all that kind of malarkey. But we yeah, uh, but we would be to the dandelion market or see what we could pick up or whatever, you know. So you know all the clothes you were wearing at that time because this was your first day in Dublin. Yeah. And we'll talk about kind of this the second time around in Dublin. And but the first day in Dublin. Um, were you coming, seeking out those clothes? Had you already kind of formed a bit of your style or was it that suddenly you were looking at, there was Jenny Vander, there was the Dandelion Market, which of course was, it was in a few different locations, but it was in Stevens Green for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly there was access to, you know, I've watched some of the footage, you know, on RTE that they, I, I watched it time and time again, actually, of interviewing different people that were selling things and one guy had been working in Portobello Market. So it yeah, was yeah, so exotic. Yeah. The yeah. idea of secondhand clothes. Yeah, and yeah. some of the stuff they were selling was gas, like yeah. right up my street. Yeah, yeah. Um, but was it that suddenly you were open to these ideas or were you, or was, it, did you feel like, oh, I found my tribe a little bit. Yes. I'm able to yes. yeah, be yeah. who I want to be. I think when I walked into the Dandelion Market for the first time, I went, oh my good Lord. Amazing. This is just, this is just it. And I remember buying um, a pair of, again, red boots, which are a platform with, I mean, really high ankle boots but they were stunning I don't know where they are I don't know what I did with them I probably gave them away I don't know why I did because there would be collectors items yeah. there and wearing them and the things that you wore that you you know like nowadays I, my, my, my motto now is never wear shoes you can't run away in that's my <laughs> motto I, seriously and it's a terrible motto to have yeah. but it's true yeah. but we, we I always wore shoes that you couldn't run away with and uh, run away in in those days a huge mass of platforms I mean ridiculous platforms I remember having a platforms with an American flag on me and I, I like and I was I grew literally like I was <laughs> yeah. about six foot tall and I'm only five two you know it was ridiculous but yeah it, it was about finding your tribe and finding and 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 just finding a group of people where where the, I don't know I mean I'm not saying that people said oh god look at the state of your one when I went home I, I don't know whether they did or not but I felt it because mm. I was so weird mm. you know in, in you know in, in, like I was so to my mind I could have been completely imagining it yeah but I, I felt disapproved of do you know and yeah. when you're with people who approve of you and approve of 
watch and say, hey, put that with that. Why don't you do that? And did, you know, and then like well, we did all sorts of things. Went on skites to London for the weekend. Went to see the Pointer Sisters in Biba, the, the original oh, Biba. Wow. I bought a pimp coat and a, well, I looked ridiculous in it, but it doesn't matter. It was a floor length faux leopard skin coat wow. with cuffs and the big hood. And then I bought this pimp hat you know and, oh god was know. this in Biba that you got that yeah yeah oh wow yeah it was an incredible place it was an incredible place and you know we did all that sort of thing and again it was like it was our first do you know what it was we were in Thorndale and it was our first tax rebate and we went <laughs> we blew the whole thing in Biba you know so I uh, know they were great fun days that's yeah. the best thing to do with the tax rebate yeah, yeah. and then I suppose the idea then because you were in Dublin and you weren't having to conform or you yeah. weren't having to maybe um satisfy anyone else's yeah. um uh, not agenda for you but kind of uh, image of you you know I suppose yeah. and so but when you went back did obviously you said no one ever said anything right but how do you think your mom and dad thought of your new look or were they just like well this is her and it's an extension of uh, my to my Mary. mind I think I would get the bus home every Friday and I think I I think I toned myself down did a you? bit mm. I think I did mm-hmm. I haven't really a remem- a remembrance of that that's very strange that I don't I mean uh, Maxi dre- Maxi Maxi clothes came in at that time then because mm-hmm. it was the minis and then it became and I loved the Maxi I loved the whole idea of having to hold yeah. your skirts going upstairs yeah. I loved all that <laughs> um but it took a while for them to be accepted. But once they were accepted, then I could wear it home with me, me donkey jacket and yeah. my desert boots, which wasn't too bad. You know, like yeah. it was a bit odd, but it wasn't too bad. Um, but I'm sure like my mother would have loved me to be in nice little, neat little yeah. dress and shoes and, you know, nothing to do with because she was a very stylish woman herself. Mm. But I just didn't share her style. Mm. But it was of the time. It was and the so time. much had changed really in that, if you Huge think of that change. era. Seismic. There were bigger changes than ever in yeah. decades in before, you know. Everything changed yeah. hugely. Like politics, you know, relationships between the generations changed. Um you know, you had the nuclear thing, you had the Vietnam War, you had all of that. And even though you might be living in a small little town, it, it did impact mm. in the same way as Ukraine impacts us all. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 and I was interested in the outside world. I was mm-hmm. interested in what happened in America. I was interested in, you know, the shootings in Kent State and all that kind of thing. That that was that that was now when I was going into secondary school. I was more politically aware. Um, not that I still powerless, but mm. politically aware. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it it, it was a uh, um a huge time. And then it must have been very difficult for my parents mm. because certainly for my father because like he was born, it's a ridiculous thing to say in eighteen ninety nine. So you can imagine the amount of change he saw. He died in ninety two, nineteen ninety two. That is extraordinary. Yeah, when you actually think about yeah. that. So that I have, like, he could tell me about somebody, which he didn't, but 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 a lot of people of his, because he never, he didn't go into whatever, for whatever reason, he didn't go into his family. His, his um, you know, his, his um, that went before, like his grandfather mm. or whatever, but his grandfather would have been alive in the family. Mm. You know, it was, you know, you think about how the ages touch each other mm. and you think you're miles away from something and actually you're not mm-hmm. you know and um 
yeah so 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 it's very hard for people of that era mm. to accept such modernity happening so quickly so quickly yeah. and from all angles from all know? angles so I think, you know and you know you when when children move away as well children you know oh. of any age when they move away there's just there's a there's a grip loosening that there has to be yeah um and i i know then so during was it during your first few years in Dublin that you actually did I know you were going to gigs all the time at night but did you start your acting classes then or was yeah. it when you okay so you had done that's how class. I met Martina that's how you met Martina Tina. was in your acting classes yeah. and, and, and I just went to acting out. classes just for something to do in the evenings so it wasn't I want to be an actress yeah and it was through Martina then that I realized oh there's such thing as as women like me who are professional actors and want to be professional actors and that kind of turned my head a little bit yeah and I got a I got a few little gigs in the project in the very early project in, in um back in the 70s uh, yeah 70s and um a little I had a dance uh, sequence in a in a, in a production of Antigone and so a few little things like that um and uh you know but then I just I never thought that I would be a professional actor Mm -hmm. that was a decision I made much later Mm -hmm. and um and then the bombs happened in in Dublin and all the fun went out of life and I came home and basically Mm -hmm. that was that's a very truncated version of what happened but yeah well just if you don't mind Mm. tell me about the the day that the bombs went off in Dublin because Mm. you were so close by oh god yeah well like a lot of people but anyway I was I was um Friday afternoon I was about to go to Bosaurus, which would be right in the path of the bombs. I knew I had to get, there was a shop, a shop called Shop and Save in North Earl Street. And, uh, and I said, now I need shampoo and I'll get that on the way down to North Earl Street. But I'll just tip up to Hickey's and Henry Street to get a remnant because we used to make our own clothes and try mm. to do things. And that was, you know, the decision you make. It could have been very different. And when I was in Hickey's, I heard this thing like it wasn't really it was it was like a it wasn't nothing shook or anything it was like a very loud as if a very loud clap but you just immediately knew it was a bomb you just I just knew it was a bomb and I I run out to the field to the fields as I to the street and there was this absolute sea of people running in panic up up Henry Street away from it and I, I just have this this sense of just cold bloodedness came over me and I don't mean that and I don't care. It was, I have to get home now. I, I have to. A survival I'd, instinct. Yeah, maybe. just yeah. have to get home. But it was a pretty dangerous survival instinct when yeah. you think about it because I had to go down yeah. the path. But I didn't. I, I went down. I went down. I can still see myself walking down Cable Street and then I went down Henry Street and I went, oh, that's where it is. OK, I see where all that's happening. And so then I turned and I went down, uh, I think... Ab- no, it wouldn't have been, Ab- was it Abbey Street? Because I have this notion of looking up towards, um, is it, what, is it Mal- Marlborough Street? No, is it, yeah, Marlborough yeah. Street. And seeing this panic and, uh, you know, and I said, keep going, keep going, keep going. And of course, there could have been bombs everywhere. We didn't know. And you didn't have panic in you at that time, though. You were. No, no I, it was the weirdest thing. It was the weirdest thing. I didn't, I suppose in a way. Because it was the first time I'd ever come across, and, and we were all very innocent at that time. Everybody was, you know, in Dublin at the time. That such a thing couldn't happen here. That you kind of just didn't act, you know, because you had nothing that went before to measure it against. And I went down, went down to Bussaurus, and um, oh God, there was people, you know, shaking. And then the bus from Navin came in, I remember, and the back was blown off it. 
and then you know the way when you used to hear that and boss from time will go now there was none of that it was is there a doctor is there a, please doctors make your way up please any doctors it was just but anyway uh, the Delvin bus was there and I got on it and I came home and I will never my, my mother met me where she would normally meet me not knowing if you were going to be on the bus well you see the thing is I didn't that never computed until I came home and I walked into the kitchen and I saw my father's face and he was clammy and his, he had no blood in his face at all. And then I realised, Jesus, they, they, they thought I wouldn't get the bus. Because I wasn't in that reality. I was just in the get home reality. Yeah. And, um, and, and yeah, they didn't know because you couldn't ring. Well, you could ring. There were public telephones, but you can obviously imagine. Yeah, of course. And then, and then um, you know, and from that day on until the very, very first peace, uh, first ceasefire, I would never sit in a window of a restaurant and I would just just absolutely compulsively check the numbers on every car going down yeah. the street. I'd just walk along the street and if I saw a Nordy car, I'd, you know, could, 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 could have been in any car. Yeah. But that was just my, like, thing. And so so that was... And then the fun went out of life and the gig mm. stopped and there was nowhere to go and and that's know. why you moved home that was it because there was no point in staying in Dublin was it a fear was it because you knew your parents needed that or was it a combination of it was a combination of everything and then it was a because com- I've always done things very impulsively yeah. and I remember one day sitting in Thorndale going I think I'm going to go home and that was it and I just walked in and it was like I wasn't even thinking about it. I think I want to go home and I went in and I resigned uh, handed in my notice and then I went home and I thought my picture was that I was going to run the farm with my father but <laughs> that didn't happen and uh, then there was a lot of lost years where I tried very hard to fit in and I, I tried so hard and I had some very happy times but I wasn't been true to myself hmm. and then eventually were you, were you were you not being true to yourself uh, um in every which way were you? Yeah, I tried to dress. Dressing differently. Yeah, were, yeah, I was yeah. tried to do everything differently. Tried to be like everybody else. Tried to, I wasn't, didn't succeed very much because it was still always a bit of an oddball. But I tried, I really did try. And it just, it, uh, yeah, no. And do you think that that feeling that you weren't able to do it, do you think that that was more something from coming from you inside, thinking I'm failing at this, I don't fit in? Or do you think that people were like, oh, there's Mary is a notable, you know, that that you were a little bit different and I, I not almost, cruelly, but just. Yeah, no, I don't know. I you see. I don't know, because you see, my mum, my mum was and I adore her still because I don't believe the relationship changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the relationship changes. The personality is gone, but the relationship is still there. I adored her and I adore her still. But she had, she was a strong woman and she felt she wanted her, do- and, and in those days, there was no such thing as express yourself, darling, you know, go to your this, that and the other, you know, you, you did what your parents told you and there was no culture of saying, no, I won't. Well, I did. And <laughs> I think that's what caused a lot of the problems for me is it wasn't the fact that, that, that they told me, it was that I rebelled against mm-hmm. it and I felt bad for rebelling. But anyway, um, so, so, so my mum w- would say you can't don't wear that that nobody's you know whatever but she do it from a point of view that she wanted me to fit in because she wanted me to have what she perceived would be a happy life mm. you know she was trying to protect you she was trying to protect me for myself I suppose because she's going where is this one going to end up do yeah. you know 
and uh, so so uh, yeah so so she would have been my sounding board so then I always did feel odd because I was never well again it was that confusion wasn't uh, it because but uh, if this is what makes me happy and how I feel I want to uh, represent myself yeah. but the person I adore and respect yeah. and want to make happy yes yes is something that I think we all fall oh, into oh my goodness yes yes um, they, yes. they didn't align yeah, necessarily yeah. you know and so was it a hard decision to go back to Dublin or did you feel in your bones you just needed it no what happened was I, I, I a relationship I was in didn't work out and I I feel everything to the marrow like mm. I, that's why I've spent so many years in antidepressants mm-hmm. and really to the marrow I was devastated and um, I, I just I literally wanted to go back to Dublin because I knew I wouldn't meet him around the place and that was literally it mm. So I did and I ended up getting a job and then I was going, what can I do? I can't go back to the office because it was all different then, you know, the technology. And yeah. well, well, I wasn't technology at that time, but it was had changed and moved on certainly amount anyway. And um, so so uh, I said, well, I was pretty good at the old acting when I was a kid. And <laughs> Gas, I was, that was it. I might as well. I might as well do that. So I got a job as a runner in the Dublin Theatre Festival. And um, and and then started to get my ear in for auditions and stuff. And I ended up going to the Oscar Theatre School for two years, which was a weekend school. It wasn't a full time school like they have now. And through that, I got an audition for The Gate for The Philanderer. And I got that. And that was the start. And then there was semi private in The Gate. And then I auditioned for Glen Row and got that as well. So that was your third that was your third gig. That was my third gig. Your third paid gig was Glen Row. Yeah. So you could have never imagined what was what was coming. No. No. And just before we go into Glen Row a little bit, can I just ask you when you did go back and you were with the Dublin Theatre working the Dublin Theatre the Festival, Festival as the yeah. runner and everything. Did it were, did you feel immediately you could breathe a sigh of relief? Did you feel you could be yourself again? Was there any kind of um uh, any reassurance that yes, this was correct? No, I mean the difference with me then and the difference with me now is, I didn't question myself. It wasn't that I was going, I'm great, I'm not. It was like I'll tr- I'll pitch in here now. I didn't have any. Oh my God, are they going to be nice or, or are they going to say this to me? Or are they going to say that to me? Or what will I do? Or will I be able for it? I just went in. What do you want me to do? Oh, you want to put posters up there? Okay, I'll do that now. And then I come back and you know. And that was how I. That was how I. I I, ju- I just carried on. I mean the the insecurity settled in much later I think with fame it, it settled in yeah. much later yeah well I know that um you had mentioned to me before very briefly that um with Glen Rowe obviously that I don't know how I don't know how quickly that became a phenomenon when you yeah. look back it's a phenomenon but I I mean I know just like everybody else that that was part of our week and yeah. that was and that the only thing really that I could say we all sat down to yes. and so yeah. the characters were an extension we believed of our family and I don't think there had been that much exposure to such an intimate um, TV setting before that you could feel like you knew the characters in that way certainly there was nothing else for us anyway yeah. that was you know yeah. we would talk about the characters like we'd be talking about yeah, our aunties yeah. or uncles you yeah. know and yeah. um, so I think that was because it was the only only one there was. Exactly, you know, it wasn't and, diluted and by exactly. anything else. Exactly, and it was and it was it, it was a reflection. It was it, it wasn't consuming something that was from yeah. outside Ireland again. Um, but with that, there wasn't a huge, let's say, celebrity culture. There was the musicians that, mm. and there was the actors that you might have been exposed to more than others because mm. you know you were mm. you were um, immersed in the arts, but. It was the first time really then that there was TV celebrities, wasn't it? That yeah. you guys were noticed and, and probably spoken about. And correct me if I'm wrong, but almost a bit put upon by this idea that people had of you rather than who you were. Yes, yes. It was It was very much, it kind of 
snuck up on us because for the first couple of years it was grand. We just pitched up at RT. We did our gig. People enjoyed it. That was grand. Do you know? But then I remember getting a review. We we got a couple of us got together for a show and just to do it in the summertime because we didn't work in the summer in, in Glenrow. And we just said, like, let's just let's capitalize on this. And it was the first time I ever remember being reviewed as a soap actress. Up right. until then, I was an actress. Mm-hmm. And we were all we were all reviewed as that. And I'm kind of going, you know, there's people here who worked in the Abbey Company or part of the Abbey Company first. There's nothing wrong being a soap actress, don't get me wrong, but it was meant in a derogatory way. Mm-hmm. They uh, wanted to reduce you reduce to you to that. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, God, I remember we it was the factory girls and we pitched up on the late, late show and we were completely unprepared and, and actually Gay said, that's not ready yet. You know, when we finished, he said, that's not ready. And he was right. He was absolutely right. But he said, I'm sure it'll be grand. I said, it will. It'll be grand. <laughs> but, so but, uh, um, but yeah, the, it was the first time. And then, and then it started to become this, you kind of think, you know, at the very beginning, I'd love someone to ask me for my autograph. Yeah. And then they do and you go, oh, that's great. And then after a while you go, oh, I don't know about this. You know, and then it got, because it was huge. People forget how huge it was yeah, towards huge. the end. Where you would feel the sense of walking out in front of, which is not the case, but it was the it was the feeling of a hare in front of hounds when you'd walk into a room full of yeah. people, because it is a kind of a very primitive reaction because you don't know anyone and they know you mm. and it's primitive. and they are fascinated by you, yeah, or or they want to take you down a peg or two, which was usually what happened. Oh, Do you know? Right. Yeah. Usually what happened? Yeah, I mean, that's hard to take, and also I'm sure as. Biddy, 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 oh, and then Jesus, the statements. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I still I, get it. Oh, I'm sure you yeah, do. I'm yeah, sure you do. Yeah. And I, and, and I'm it was more. Seventeen gr- years was it? Seventeen years that you did that role? Sixteen. Or am I, Sixteen years. Yeah. And it was twenty-one years since I left, and yeah. it's still there. But anyway, it's and I don't enduring. mind. Look, at I wouldn't. Uh, there's a lot of things I wouldn't have done if I hadn't been in Glenrow, and I don't mind. I, I, I just set people straight. Say, look, Mary's the name, you know, and then we'll have a chat about anything. I'll stand and talk for hours mm-hmm. if they yeah. want, but if they insist on the biddy thing, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to engage with it because, you know, eventually all you have is who you are, you know. And is that why, do you feel you sort of wanted to double down on expressing yourself through your clothing at that time? Yes. And I see, I had, we didn't earn a lot of money, you know, compared to what people thought we were earning, but we had spending power because I had no, I had no children. I had nothing. I was Mm -hmm. sort of had. And it was regular work. And it was regular work. And I remember, and one of my deepest regrets, well, it wasn't my deepest regret how I got rid of it, but it was my deepest regret giving it away, was I bought a Lainey Co. Newgrange, her Newgrange series uh, um, uh, sweater. And it was black and grey and white. And it had all the swirls of yeah. Newgrange on it. And it was huge and big and clumpy. And I loved it. I loved it. But then for some reason or other, I decided I was going to go body con, you know. And I gave it away to the most beautiful woman and stylish woman and sexy woman in the world who's no longer with us, Eileen Colgan. And I don't regret giving it to her, but I do regret not having not it. Not having it now. Oh, yeah. God, it was gorgeous. It was just go- And it's so timeless, like... And I, I did buy a lot of clothes at yeah. that time. I, I did. I, 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 and I think in a way that it got out of hand. A bit. Really? Yeah, I think so. Why were you trying to... Uh, but I didn't to... notice it because I had money. I had, I had a regular paycheck. Yeah. 
but I don't you know once the paychecks ran out I realised ooh hang on a second it's only now I'm beginning to realise no mate you can't buy that you haven't gotten the money mm-hmm. just just but were you in these? search of something with the buying with the new oh, because like yeah it was like oh it was that feeling yeah. of yeah this is a, this is it was it was it was an expansion and it was a sense of coziness at the same time yeah but you never get the reality that you see in front of the mirror because in the shop yeah because that's like a magical moment. when you start imagining who you're going to be in that piece of clothing exactly. you imagine where you're going to be yeah. people's reactions yeah. you're feeling doesn't yeah. and you or know. I don't feel like that sort of rather jaded tired put upon person that came into the shop yeah. I feel like somebody whose head is up and yeah. shoulders are back and 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 I think as as Glenro went on and then you know that all that imposition from outside which is natural and I'm not giving mm. out about it but I didn't know how to deal with it hands up I didn't and I didn't deal with it very well um I think I think I was more tired and more tired and I would buy in of 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 not being the person they thought I was yeah and um, and I'd know where to go with that. Nowadays, I think, you know, it is a more common experience. So yeah. you have someone to talk to. But then, you know, and other people did have it. But not, I don't think quite so much. But I remember, um, you know, um, Kate Thompson, who's another ridiculously stylish woman who played Terry and Glen Rowe, who was oh, the, yeah. the femme fatale. Yeah. Oh, my God. I used to look forward to her coming into work every day. She <laughs> always looked a million dollars. But anyway, and she, she, she was a kind of bus from... Sligo to Ross's Point or something during the summer and she was as I say the femme fatale and she said you want to hear what school kids were singing oh, gosh. she said I was terrified oh and, gosh yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was that it was that and I remember myself and Isabel Mahan who played Michelle being down in this little restaurant called the Peri- Periwinkle in, it was in the basement of Paris Court Townhouse Centre but oh, you yeah. could see there was windows it's, it's where Pygmalion, Pygmalion is now yeah, yeah. And you, but you could see into the, the, the bottom into the into the thing and a, a group of school kids had slipped their teachers oh, oh they flip and close the place down the screeching and roaring and coming in it was unbelievable it was god yeah after you guys that's the two of us oh, you know we were, and there was the two of the little ones as we were because <laughs> like looking out we were like two little oh, mice in a trap you know and and these school kids that were a third our age you know but it was f- scary and yeah. and then I remember a group of leave and start students out on the Raz after the results in 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 Galway, spotting me in my little red mini and rocking the car, terrifying me only for there was a cop Mary. around. Yeah, it's wild though, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. And I suppose so many people now. Um, there's so many different forms of being well known as well, and yeah. people broadcast themselves. And yeah, it's this, a choice. So, yeah, exactly. But um, but you know, you've I was I've been reading your. Well, you wrote two books. Mm. I've been reading um, How the Light Gets yeah, In. Yeah. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Thank um, you. And um, I was wondering what motivated you to write both of those books a- at each time. Did you always know you wanted to do that? Well, the first one. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest. I was asked to write it. Yeah. By Hachette. Um Because you had been honest about your depression. Uh, and your I had done a programme called Would You Believe? Oh, yeah. And on the back of Would You Believe, a commissioning editor from Hachette saw it and said, would you like to do that? So I did. And I, I don't know whether I'm happy about it. I'm not. I'm happy. To a degree, I'm happy. Um, with the finished book or that you With the finished it? book. Okay. Because, and the reason I'll say it is because I wanted to write it myself, but I wasn't known as a writer. But I did write an awful lot because mm. I said I wanted to be a yeah. rock journalist at one time. 
And they weren't they didn't like the idea of me writing it. So they gave me a ghostwriter, which was fine. But they kept a lot of my stuff that I had written. Mm. But I didn't realize in the same way as it's you have to have almost cliffhangers at every. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. End of every chapter. Yeah. And I was going. Oh, what? So did it make it a bit contrived to you then? It did the seem idea? contrived, yes, you know. Yes, I know and what you mean. if I say if I had written every word of it myself, it would have been quite a different book, probably a lot more boring, and I wouldn't have sold sold as well as it did. But in a kind of peculiar kind of way, when it's your life story and it's your life again, it's like, you know, oh, I really like to say this in my own words. Well, also, you are a communicator, Mary. So yeah. that is quite alien for someone yeah. else to speak for yeah. you. And the very thing that you didn't want to be misrepresented. Yeah. For, you know, so well, I it wasn't really... No, I don't think they were misrepresenting no. you at all. But no. you know what I mean is that idea of you just wanted to be... It was my... Yeah, I wanted authentic to be... Authentic. But it was yeah. great. And I was delighted with the job they did and everything. Mm. You know, it was just afterwards when I thought about it, I went, ah. But anyway, so the reason I wrote the second book was it's every single word of it is my own. And I'm really proud of that book. Yeah. Didn't do as well as it had like it's in. It's called Ordinary Beauty. But I was I'm really proud of that book. And how do they me. differ? Because I'm going to read Ordinary Beauty, but I haven't. Ordinary Beauty is just a series of reflections. Yeah. It's like meditations. It's like, you know, uh, and, and at the time I was go- I was I was in a situation where I was doing yoga, a lot of yoga. And I was really coming to peace with myself. And I was really. And I remember Samhain is a very important time for mm-hmm. me. And a lot of people don't realize that, well, people in the sort of pagan stroke witchcraft area, which I would be on the certainly on the edges of, mm-hmm. um, uh, would know what Samhain is. But a lot of people think Halloween is crackers and yeah. it's not. It's the opposite of that. It's mm. about going inwards. It's mm. about it's about the shadow world. It's about, your, you know, all of that. And there was a reason I was saying that. And what was it? Um, yes, yeah, so yeah. so we were doing yoga um, on the principle of Samhain on, you know, so it was all about going inwards. And I I wanted to feel that sense in myself of being nothing. And I don't mean that in the sense of negativity, but mm. being no thing, my spirit. Mm-hmm. To, to really, and I was in that place so I could reflect a lot on when I, ca- I called it ordinary beauty I was kind of sad then because I was thinking of divine beauty which is um, John O'Donoghue's and I couldn't even touch you know I wouldn't I, not 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 the, the hem of his garment I couldn't touch but in that ordinariness is is to me sitting at the you know down at sea point at full tide with all the, the kids going around mm-hmm. and the sun going down and just people around and eating chalk ices and it's that whole music of the universe and and that sort of thing mm. rather than you know some incredibly transcendent thing you have when you're on a retreat in the top of the Himalayas yeah. or something yeah. do you know yeah. and that's what that's about yeah. and and then little bits of fun at the end but yeah I loved that book and 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 I am happy with that book and I am happy with how the light gets in I just wish I'd written it all right yeah. you know yeah. well there's one there's just one quote in it and there were quotes from other people and then I thought it was all you anyway. But you can yeah. tell me. If, oh, if it was, was all you, me. It's just not the way I'd say it. I know it, I the suppose. sentiment was anyway. And um, it, it kind of just winded me. I read it so many times. So if you don't mind, I'll just yeah. read. Depression is like a visitor in your house who doesn't know how to behave properly. He wanders freely from room to room, going through your private things, rifling through your joy, serenity and rationality. In the end, you lose the will to show him the door. And I was... Like, that's that my, really I, that's my bit. Yeah, uh, Mary, I wrote that. like, it's just... 
it, it just really I, I think that idea of rifling through your joy serenity and rationality mm. and I know I went on antidepressants a few years ago for what was anxiety actually what I realized now is there was things I didn't tell them and one of the things that had really that I was doing a lot of and it's only in retrospect that I know I was fixating on people I'd be going to sleep and I'd get the <gasps> worry like yes something. but I would then fixate on a person or a thing that I wasn't doing or a person that was doing that thing and it was every time I closed my eyes it was that I didn't share that with anyone because I didn't know yeah. that that was even I yeah. just thought that that was me oh, okay. I didn't know what that was but that idea of rifling through your joy your serenity yeah. and your rationality because yeah. you don't it's when you are robbed of those things yeah. you feel like so much lesser of a person and yeah. I think that that's beautiful to share that and, and, and in both the books then be able to help other people and maybe yeah. because if I had read that before I realized myself yeah. I would have gone oh hang on a second that's yeah. what that was doing that was you see there's been a lot since that book was written that was 2011 I think there's been a lot of discourse about mental health mm. and all that kind of thing so that's no longer kind of new mm. um um so i i suppose i don't see how it may have the value in it the value of it yeah, yeah. but you know sometimes it just and it takes one little one little paragraph to 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 really kind of speak to someone you know and i think um i was just interested in in i was about to say that period but you say that you're living with depression in, in yeah. so many different yeah, ways and yeah, um, yeah. and you're very open about it and because you get that joy in let's say clothing and dressing mm. as well um It is is the opposite true? Sometimes do you kind of think that you don't want to wear certain things because you don't feel the joy in that, or that you, um, or that you want to hide, or do you do you use kind of um, your clothing in any way to kind of soothe you? Oh yes, I do. But but you see, I suppose what goes with depression, and certainly with me, is. I've gained and lost the same four stone, give or take. For uh, so again, it's body image. Mm-hmm. Somebody who wanted to be Audrey Hepburn, I'm clearly not. And it's that sort of thing. So the clothes, then you kind of look at a dress. I mean, I have a dress at home that I got in Jenny Vanders at my last lowest weight, and it's it's a kind of a very Audrey Hepburn 1950s cocktail dress. And I look at it now. And I'm going, oh, I love you. I'd like to get into you again. <laughs> But then I kind of go, I can't make that dress my bully. Yeah. It's not. It yes. can't be that. Yes. It can't be that. So, like, I now dress. I don't not dress the body I have now to to, to not matter. Mm. I, I dress in robe. And I like roby mm. things anyway. I would have always, you know, I tend to, when I lose weight, go into something that's not me, maybe, yeah. which is kind of body con, showing off. The, and I kind of, I'm actually more a roby, flowy yeah. kind of yeah. person. You have those beautiful two kimonos. Yeah, well, I, 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 I love yeah. all that. Yeah. And, and you know, if you want to sit down at a table and let your belly hang out without, <laughs> you know, kind of somebody going, look at that size of that. <laughs> But it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it, there's no clothes that don't except the ones that I regret or and I think now because I'm only realizing that I do live beyond my means mm-hmm. when it comes to clothes even if it's charity shops mm. that it's kind of that's scaring me that I can't have that lovely little hit mm-hmm. every five not every day well yeah nearly every day with a charity shop you go in you buy four quid like what did I get I got an Armani jacket for two quid in a charity shop Stop. in Kells yes I did I don't even like it but I have it <laughs> Anybody want to buy Anybody want to buy an Armani jacket? <laughs> it only cost you 500 quid. <laughs> um um uh, it's it's yeah and like the other day I was on a film and <laughs> 
I went down to this charity shop. There was a, we were on the set in Castleknock, and I went down to um, Castleknock, no, Blanchestown Village, and I got the NC. I think it was the NCBI. Was it the NCBI or Enable Ireland? It just got in a consignment of a SCADA. Oh, for God's sake! Yeah, just before you arrived. Just You're, before I was, to be, I'm going to yes. follow you to charity shops. And all the, the, the and, and I got this cream, cashmere and wool, new. Jacket, which is to die for. Scad, I can take or leave, but sometimes mm. it was just gorgeous. I was 60 quid, but it was new. So it was mm. like 500 quid for 60 quid. And this lovely, this, this, which I have with me now, piece gorgeous of bag, gorgeous Beautiful. loveliness for 30 Welcome quid. Back. And, but you can't, you can't help it. It's like, you're like, you're like John, Long John Silver and you're going to the Treasure Island and you're going <laughs> to dig and, oh my God, maybe I'll find Yoji Yamamoto, which I've never done. Somebody who likes Yoji Yamamoto, please leave some into a charity shop so I can find it. Well, like, um, that would be uh, like a perfect representation of you, I think, because there's the kind of um, rebellious yes. cuts and the eccentric collections yes. and everything yeah. as well, which I think are, are be- that's not to say you're rebellious and eccentric, but I mean, that way of dressing is just, fabulous you know yeah. and I think that that would suit you so much but I think you know that idea of um, you can't let that dress be your bully whenever I do personal styling I think I've said it on here before but I o- always say to everyone every piece of clothing in your wardrobe is talking to you and you have to be really careful what you're letting them say to you every that single day that's extraordinary and I that's say, wonderful yeah because because that thing that you're saying oh look at me I'm too big and sure I've yeah because I ate too much and I couldn't get into that or I spent all that money on you and Egypt if you are never going to wear it they need to be gone and in, in some form maybe you sell them if you're worried about the money maybe we restyle them maybe we do whatever but you cannot have those items bullying you as you say yeah. which is a great way of saying it yeah. and then another thing I do I remember I made this dress years ago I went to Grafton Academy for a dressmaking course and I love this dress and I mean, like I, I, the teeny, teeny, tiny waist, and I'll never get back into it. But I hang it on a hanger, and I have it on a wall, and I can enjoy that dress for yeah. that dress, you know. And that won't always be the case for every piece of clothing. But you have to find other ways to interact with your clothing, and anything that is not serving you, and anything that is making you feel negative every time you open your door, it just has to. It okay. has. It has to go in different ways. It might be yeah. that you lend it to someone. Be careful now what to give away, because I don't want you to have your. Have no, your I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep that dress. But I know. I, I I've actually done. What, I didn't. I think that's an incredibly wise thing to say. And I, I, I think I was doing it without realizing I was doing it. I got one of the zip bags, yes. you know, yeah. and I just put it down. I yeah. said, maybe someday. Exactly. But we're now. not going to wait. We're not going to wait to live life until yeah. I can get into you again. Exactly. And then you have all these other clothes. And, and this idea that people as well keep things for good. I'm like, when is good? Exactly. Make today a good day. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and that's and, and I still love clothes and I'm still going to cut a sway through the charity shops when I'm finished here. But <laughs> it's like it's. It's just, and I think actually that's what keeps me kind of young in my head. It's like there's always something around the corner. It's oh, so look. exciting! It's and so the thing about a charity shop is, let's face it, if you see it and you doubt it and you go away for five minutes, there's always the risk it's not going to be. It's there. not so going to be there. I never encourage like impulse shopping, but I'm like, but I mean, uh, do as I say and not as I do because yeah. when I'm in a charity shop, you know, yeah. and I see something, but it's very exciting. It's very exciting, and it's and it's and but it's also that thing like of you know being sustainable as well and like I do and I love a thing that's worn in I mean this bag is worn in it's yeah. and I love it I love it for that reason yeah and this, the, the, the the lives that has led already yeah. that's I, I have love. a pair of shoes Irene that I got in Paris in a not a charity shop vintage shop darling <laughs> and they were 1940s 
and they're gorgeous. Wow, in good, in, in good very neck. good wow. neck, very good neck. And I'm thinking that woman walked the streets of Paris in the German occupation. Who was she? Yes. Was she, you know, was she one of those collaborator ladies? Was she, who was she? Yeah. And I just, I loved them. And they're beautiful on the foot. Yeah, they're just, and so, and they have a little platform and the whole thing. Yeah. And that sort of thing, you know, and it has a mystique and it has a history. Exactly. And, and you know, I always say that the clothes, particularly for females, they really represent where we were in society at any given time. Yes. You know, they're a real tangible history. And that's the thrill. I mean, I ended up in styling completely by accident because it was a love of vintage clothing. Yes. You know, and just yes. kind of someone said, will you say this? OK, will you do more of that? OK. And suddenly I'm getting away with doing styling. But it wasn't. It was the love getting of clothes. And the, well, 100 <laughs> percent. But it's more like the it's the love of clothes. It's the love of the story. And that's why yes. I love doing this podcast, because yeah. you can learn so much from someone. And yeah. everyone remembers what they wore at important times or wh- yeah. when they were struck by someone, you know, um, mm. a person in life. And I just wanted I won't keep you much longer because I've been chatting a very long time. But I did want to ask you that idea. You know, you you very early on loved the idea of second hand and you very early on were someone who wanted to be able to express your yourself yeah. and your individuality but you also are someone that cares about the earth so much and was and and, and making the world a better place mm. um and i think that your your big loves in life are, are trying to do those things Correct me if I'm wrong. No, but uh, but I absolutely. i wondered was that always the case or did you even know kind of um that by buying second hand you were being sustainable. You were, you know, no, no you didn't. It, I was, did. it was more about the yeah. creativity. It was the creativity and the yeah. fact that it harked back to another time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also then, I mean, because I, 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 from a very, very early age, I was so passionate about the art. Like from, I remember, I think that was the start of my de- real depression was people were just cutting trees that I was mm. friends with. And mm. it was now it's so different because people are planting them everywhere. Yeah. And it's great. But at the time, and my dad, and I loved my dad, but he was a farmer and a tree was a nuisance. Yeah. And oh my God. And I remember running into my mother, absolute buckets of tears that really? he cut this beautiful tree. And, and, you know, and she tried to, you know, anyway, it's, it's done. I've planted forests since <laughs> yeah. and that's fine and daddy did what he did when he knew what he knew exactly. and at that time it was good farming practice yeah. so I'd, I've made my peace with all of that yeah um, can I just tell one little Please story do. finish now Please to bring do. it back to my mum again yeah um, as I said it started out with the shoes the peep toed shoes but anyway she, when she died she had lots of lovely clothes but they were kind of so I, I gave them away or whatever but there was one suit that I didn't give away and it was kind of a a tight skirt and um, an, an Italian wool. It's kind of a, it was cerise pink, oh, and it had sort of a Chanelli braiding and that kind of thing. Skirt and jacket. So, skirt yeah, and jacket. It's okay. longer. It was Beautiful. it wasn't a box jacket. Yeah. it was a longer jacket. So I kept it. And I kept it. And I kept it. Anyway, long story short, there the very first gig I did after the lockdown was back in the National Concert Hall on. Friday the 13th of May I think with a great friend of mine uh, Sandra Oman and I was playing Hedda Hopper the, who was a great co- columnist in, in um, Hollywood and uh, she wore suits and big ridiculous hats and the whole sort of thing so anyway I saw this dress which I got in a store is born beautiful dress which I dye, I did a Kim Kardashian I dieted to get into it yeah. and I, I posted it on Instagram and all of that and then I saw the pink dress Pink, and I said, God, I was going to wear the that dress, the, yeah. the, the one and from, from Stores Born. 
beautiful chinoiserie kind of 1950s cocktail dress. Uh, and I look very good in it, I have to say. Um, but and then I thought, no, no, I'm going to wear mammy's suit. Oh, wow. Because at last she's going to the National Concert Hall to see me in something she's not ashamed of. <laughs> oh, Mary, that's incredible. Yeah. And how did you feel in it? I felt good, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was nice. It was nice. It was a nice thing to do because because she she was always saying to me, why do you get the parts you're always using bad language? <laughs> <laughs> so she had one for she, them out. Yeah. So we're now so so she saw me coming down the steps of the John Field Aww. room in my beautiful big hat and my, and her suit. Oh, that's so, so that fabulous. was uh, that was that was great. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's lovely. It's so lovely as well because it was that suit that you kept. Isn't it yeah. funny that that was it was yeah, meant yeah. to be? There was a reason for yeah. that, I suppose. Yeah. Can yeah. I ask you one question? And I'm springing it on you, so you no might just think of it. But is there an outfit that you have worn at any stage in your life that now you think so far really represents who you are and your personality? And if you looked at a photo of yourself and that, you'd think, yeah, that's Mary. Yeah, I have one dress which wouldn't be online or anywhere. It's not in terms of a photograph mm. of me in yeah. it, but it's by uh, the design company, uh, the designer uh, studio B3, and they have all these deconstructed clothes. And mm. I love all that because mm. I love all witchy, you know, mm. out there, mad, crazy black stuff. But this is black and green, and it looks like a kind of a med- medieval almost peasant woman's dress and it's the kind of dress you wear when you just want to get down you know <laughs> and I love it yeah. and it's like people say what the hell has she got on her like it's <laughs> gathered up here and it's down there and it's str- crooked at the neck and everything and I love it and that's the dress that says that's who I am yeah. it's like yeah you know I can go out to, and now when I go and buy clothes I go can you go out to the field and cuddle a sheep in this dress <laughs> And if it says yes, I'll buy it. Yeah. Well, surely you can just add wellies to anything and go out and cuddle the sheep. Oh, <laughs> sheep are the most divine creatures. Yeah, I urge anyone to cuddle a sheep. Oh, okay. Well, we'll come around to yours because you've oh, plenty. Please do. You're plenty. Most you've yes. plenty to spare. Yes. I hope they'll welcome us. Oh, they will. Um, I've just had the nicest chat with you. I've enjoyed I've it so enjoyed much, it. Mary. Thank it's you lovely so much. to actually talk about actually a passion. Yeah. Instead of you know, you know, the next yeah. show that's coming up or whatever. Yeah. No, I'm thrilled. So thank you thank so much you. for thank taking you for the time to be me. here. It's been lovely. <laughs>